On today's episode, will Gordon Hayward return before the end of the season? Why not? It's just the flesh wound. Then are we entering a new golden age of Major League Baseball? Only if the masking agents keep improving. And later, is the New England Patriots defense the worst in the NFL? They may look bad, but statistically, yeah, they're, they're the worst in the NFL. I'm Brad Whitaker. This is the Sideline Dissident. So the Boston Celtics lost Gordon Hayward five minutes into their season opener, and if you still haven't seen it, it was one of the most gruesome injuries you'll ever see. So look away if you don't want to look at it. Probably hit the biggest shot in Cavs history. They're going up. Oh my goodness. Hayward came down so hard. Okay, Hayward broke his leg. Hayward has broken his leg. Hayward has broken his leg. It's going to be hilarious when he's back on the floor before Isaiah Thomas. Now, the first thing I thought about when the injury occurred was Kevin Ware from Louisville, whose broken leg bone literally stabbed through his skin. I thought it was that bad, and the players on the court reacted as if it was that bad. Thankfully, it wasn't. His body simply pointed to the port side of the court while his ankle pointed starboard. But regardless, it was one of the... It was a gruesome injury, potentially season-ending. In fact, surgery went well, uh, but Adrian Wojnarowski reports Hayward's agent believes it's highly unlikely he'll make a return. Uh, But don't count him out just yet. The probability is very low that Hayward could return before playoff time, but there is reason to be optimistic. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yes, there's a chance. We know it was a clean break, meaning there doesn't appear to be any ligament or blood vessel damage, which is something that sidelines players for over 12 months. And for a dislocated ankle and a fractured tibia, players have returned on much shorter timetables. Uh, Former Celtics player Shavlik Randolph recovered from a similar injury, and it took about three months for his tibia to fully recover. Uh, There's a reason the Celtics were cautious declaring Hayward season over. Contrast that with Jeremy Lin, who was told his season was over immediately after rupturing his patellar tendon. Again, I don't want to trivialize Hayward's injury, but it sounds like it could have been a lot worse, and it certainly looked a lot worse. You never wish for your players to get injured, but if there's a time for it to happen opening night is ideal because the NBA season is over eight months long, and let's be real, the regular season means practically nothing for the better teams in the league. And let's stop with the, are the Celtics still a playoff team talk? The Eastern Conference is terrible. Boston is still at least a top four or five seed. In fact, I think they're still top two without Hayward. Everyone criticizes the Celtics' youth as their biggest weakness, but I actually think it's their biggest strength, particularly their bench. I'm so tired of hearing about Cleveland's depth that needs to stretch for 15 minutes and apply Ben Gay before entering the game. Sure, Boston doesn't have a ton of offensive firepower off the bench, but their young guys are all elite-level defensive players playing for the best defensive coach in the NBA. With Rozier, Marcus Smart, Morris, and Baines, they're the only team I've ever seen that gets better defensively when their starters take a rest. And as for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Boston's leading scorer through the first two games, they both look to be starting right away and they're only going to get more minutes in Hayward's absence and continue to develop. Now look, 
if Hayward isn't able to come back, it's going to be really tough for the Celtics to dethrone the Cavs in the East. And don't forget, Isaiah Thomas will likely be back sometime midseason. But let's say Hayward is able to return in April and get worked back into the rotation. The younger guys will get a lot more experience in the months before his return. Uh, Call me an optimist, but you throw Hayward into the mix around playoff time, this might actually end up working out pretty well. So let's not assume the worst. Gordon Hayward is tough, tough enough to still signal timeout when he's in shock. We don't need a eulogy like Chuck Shack and the TNT crew felt was necessary at halftime. Orthopedic surgeons see this type of injury all the time, and because it's a clean break, there is hope for a speedy recovery. Now on to baseball. As a Red Sox fan, I hate to say it, you have to give the Yankees a lot of credit. Nobody expected them to be this good. Even if they aren't able to finish off the Astros, they've certainly overachieved this season. I mean, most sports writers were expecting them to be the worst team in the AL East heading into the year. Hell, they went deeper into rebuild mode at the trade deadline last season. The turnaround has been truly remarkable, and a lot of it has to do with baseball's new big star, Aaron Judge, who's been as clutch as they come this ALCS. Now, remember, a lot of Yankees fans were pretty pissed at Judge a couple of weeks ago. Uh, He set a record for strikeouts in a postseason series, and he did it in a shortened five-game series. It took him two less games than normal to set the record. Of course, those same fans were probably the ones calling for Joe Girardi's firing after they went down 0-2 to Cleveland. Regardless, Judge isn't the most disciplined hitter at the plate. But here's the crazy thing. That doesn't seem to matter anymore. Baseball general managers don't really care about strikeouts like they used to. Now, that may seem counterintuitive and strikeout rates are going through the roof right now, but at the same time, Major League Baseball set the single season record for home runs this year, and there were still 12 days left in the regular season when it happened. What does that tell you? GMs want hitters to be extra aggressive at the plate. That's huge for someone like Judge, who doesn't always make contact, but when he does, the ball goes a mile. Poor Vladimir Guerrero entered the league about 15 years too late. The analytics nowadays stress extra base hits a lot more than they used to, which is different from the analytics of the last 10 years that stress longer at-bats, contact hitters, and on-base percentage. And this also explains why the Yankees and Astros, the final final two teams in the American League led all of baseball in home runs this year. Fun fact, my Red Sox were last in the AL in home runs. It's a miracle they won the division considering the direction baseball is going. It's time to trade for Juan Carlo. Alright, but at the end of the day, baseball fans want to see two things. Good hitting and good pitching. And right now, we have the perfect balance of both. I don't want to speak too soon, but I think we may be entering another golden age of baseball. The Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, and Dodgers, arguably baseball's four biggest markets, are all good again. Houston is also a big media market. There's lots of strikeouts and home runs. There is nothing baseball fans should complain about, even for a Red Sox fan like me who hates seeing the Yankees succeed. So the next time ESPN complains about the pace of play or the length of the game or asks the stupid question, are all these home runs bad for baseball, which is literally a debate I've seen on ESPN, 
please change the station. They're clearly trying to ruin baseball. That's why they've hired the single most boring human beings on the planet to do commentary. Have some gratitude. Baseball hasn't been this good since McGuire and Sosa were juicing between at-bats. Uh, moving on to football. Need to take a drink first. To say the New England Patriots defense has performed badly is a massive understatement. Through the first six games of the season, on average, the Patriots have given up 441 yards per game, which is 31 yards worse than the second worst defense in the NFL so far, the Indianapolis Colts. The only reason the Pats are 4-2 is because they've compensated for having the worst defense in the league by having the best offense in the league, which is really a testament to Tom Brady considering Julian Edelman is out and Gronk has been limited as well. And the weird thing is, the defense is isn't all that different from last year, which was a unit that allowed the fewest points in the 2016 regular season. The Pats, they simply replaced Logan Ryan with Stefan Gilmore and Ninkovich retired. So why are they so bad? Well, the answer isn't obvious, but if you look at last season's statistics, the Patriots were the number one defense in the league in terms of points allowed, but they dropped down to eighth overall in terms of yards allowed, meaning they still gave up large chunks of yardage. It's just the red zone defense was very effective. Contrast that with this year's red zone defense, which basically places a welcome mat in the end zone. But there's no reason to panic just yet, and here's why. Although the New England defense seemed to get their act together by midseason, through the first four games of uh, 2016, they ranked 20th in red zone defense, 26th in three and outs, and 28th in third down defense. Remember, that was a team that got rid of Jamie Collins after week six and improved dramatically. Quality defense take t- t- quality defenses take time to build, and Belichick acknowledged this earlier this week, uh, saying, maybe I just can't figure it out, but it's incomprehensible to me how anybody could think that a team that practiced for six months and played 19 regular season and postseason games and had triple-digit practices five months later after not playing a game, after having a fraction of that type of experience, could be anywhere close to the level of execution that they were five months before that after all of the things that I just listed. I mean, it's impossible in my view. So each year, you start all over again, you start that process all over again, you build your team over the course of the year through practice repetitions, through preseason or regular season games, through the evolving of your scheme, and that's why each year is different and unique. But I understand I'm in the minority and most people don't see it that way, which is okay, but that's the way I see it. And that's exactly it. There's a reason the Patriots have been running more man-to-man than they traditionally do. Only the Only the Chiefs run man coverage more than the Pats do. But remember, the defensive backs, particularly Stephon Gilmore, who's been hurt as of late, uh, blew zone coverage a number of times in Week 1 against Kansas City. It's just a matter of getting on the same page. And simply judging from the last few seasons, Belichick approaches his defense with delayed gratification instead of trying to put out a complete unit right away. I would expect the Pats to add more complexity and play more zone as the season progresses. So don't assess New England's defense in week 7, assess it in week 15. If it's anything like last year, they'll improve a lot between now and then. Uh, So that's it for this episode of the Sideline Dissonant. Um, I'll be back on Monday. I'm going to try to do four episodes a week. I'm going to give the live streaming a try. Clearly, it did not work out very well on Facebook Live today. Uh, Hopefully, on Monday, it'll work out the kinks. Just want to give a shout out to my dad, Ethan Whitaker. He helped... uh, 
put out the app, which you can download on the App Store on your iPhone. It's also available on Google Play. Uh, make sure to sign up for notifications so you do know when we're going live. Again, the Sideline Dissonant is available on the App Store. So until next Monday, I bid you adieu.